Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of the Pandemic Professors podcast. I'm Kelly Boland. And I'm Carol Pardon. And we're here to talk about all things academic during a global pandemic. Uh, We take the virus very seriously, but we're trying to laugh our way through this as we see the way that this virus has changed academia. So, Carol, who do we have with us today? Well, Kelly, I'm really excited about our guest today. Of course, I'm excited about all our guests, but um, Kim Bissell is sort of the top of the um, pile here. So I'm just so honored that she's here with us this morning. Uh, Dr. Kim Bissell is a professor at the University of Alabama in the um, College of Communication and Information Sciences. She's also the Associate Dean for Research and also the Director of, um, I'm forgetting the name, Kim. It's like undergraduate. Yeah, so all over the place. She's developed apps for nutrition. She has written a gazillion journal articles about everything under the sun. She's an expert in children and media, media effects, sports comms. She's run in I don't know how many marathons and other races. She's traveled around the world. And so for all the things that she's done, truly, the culmination is that she's here with us on this podcast today, right? So, so with that, Kim Bissell, welcome to the show today. And let's start with, um, give us a quick background on how long have you been at Alabama? You've been at Alabama the whole time I've known you, but yeah. I don't really know your history here. Certainly. Well, first, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I'm really excited to talk with both of you today. Um, I have, I, I just finished year 20 at the University of Alabama. So I started wow. in um, August of 2000 and um, wasn't quite sure that it would be my landing spot, but um, it, it's where I've been. I work with fantastic people, have great colleagues, and that's not something you want to leave. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is wow, that, that is, is fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. No, I'm incredibly old. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, no, Kim, I saw your picture online and I'm just sitting here trying to do the math. Did you enter academia when you yeah. were in? Um, <laughs> maybe it's a very generous photo. It's <laughs> amazing. There you go. Wow. And um, so I know you have published a whole lot of different research. Could you give us just a quick update on maybe some of your more interesting Um, work that you've done recently. And then after that, we'll get into the whole pandemic. Certainly. Um, Yeah. Thank you for asking about that. So my research broadly looks at the social effects of media specific to health outcomes. The work that I've been doing really for the last decade has been focused on children. And I've really tried to look more at kind of health disparities. And in my state, especially where you do have quite a few food deserts, even in more kind of um, urban areas, I've wanted to figure out or better understand how to teach kids pretty much how to be their own advocate in terms of their own health and well-being. So I did develop that app that um, that you mentioned, and I've been working on studies where I go into schools and, you know, teach kids about health and nutrition and exercise, and I really try to get a better handle on their context. So, you know, there are exercise programs and PE programs and all these different things, and it's like, well, you know, you need to have X amount of 
and servings of fruits and vegetables. But if their closest food source is a Chevron gas station, their access to, you know, fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables just may not exist. So I really tried to kind of do a deeper dive into understanding their context. So how close are they to food sources? How close are they to parks or green spaces? Do they even have sidewalks? Um, And then develop nutrition programs and exercise programs often using some form of media, um, but, you know, take that context and then try to create something that's really applicable and usable by them. And have you been able to keep up with that stream of research during the pandemic? Excellent question. So no, (laughs) No. Um, the work that I do really involves me going into schools, into classrooms. That's really where I get the access to the kids. So as soon as we um, kind of move to virtual and remote learning, obviously the public schools and the private schools in in my area did the same. And, you know, a lot of the kids in the area were struggling with accessibility, you know, not having internet access and things like that. So hypothetically, you could say, well, I could have Zoom conversations with them. I thought, given the current state, I would just put that all on hold and um, pick it back up when we're not in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, when is the question? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes. That's and, so interesting. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just go ahead. in awe. Yeah. I'm just listening and yeah. soaking it in. Can you can you tell me more about the app? Certainly. Um, it's called Track My Plate, and it was an app developed for an iPad. Um, and as you well know, many of the measurements that are used. Um, to sort of assess how much food even adults are eating. It's all in, um, you know, cups and ounces and things like that. I've got, you know, several apps on my phone where it's like, well, how many, you know, ounces of fruit did you eat? It's like, I I don't know. I ate an apricot. I'm not sure how many ounces that is. And so, you know, at the time that I developed the app, I realized that all this data we had on kids and their nutritional habits and eating behavior and all that was really based on what I consider to be kind of faulty measurement. Um, You know, because if you ask a kid, how many servings of vegetables did you eat today? I had nine, you know, like they have no idea. Um, So we're basing and developing intervention programs and all this stuff on, again, what I thought was kind of flawed data. So the idea for the app came about because I realized if you gave kids a picture, like a picture of an apple, that was something that they could understand. Um, So the whole thing was very visually oriented and the Mm -hmm. serving sizes were, I had half an apple or I had you know, two bites of cereal or whatever it was. So, um, and it was also developed so that kids who were not necessarily readers um, could still use the app to record their food. The other thing that it did was they could take a picture of their plate. um, So they could take a picture of their lunch plate, their breakfast plate, and then that would get recorded as well. Um, But the interesting thing was that when I was kind of piloting the, the app itself, I realized in talking to kids, they're like, oh, I, you know, I eat greens. And I'm like, 
what are greens? Hundreds of foods with photos in this app. And then yeah. they were like, oh, I eat this. And I thought, I don't even know what that is, but I'll figure it out yeah. and I'll add it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's kind of the, the, the basis of the app. And then the other thing that I developed into that, um, when they would record their plate, you know, things that they had on their plate, they would get feedback. So if they had a juice box or if they had a carton of milk or something like that, they would get, you know, kind of a thumbs up sort of thing, you know, good job for drinking milk or good good job for doing this. And again, the other part of it was taking in their context and understanding that for them, a juice box may have a ton of sugar, but it's better, better than soda, you know, so not um, basically slapping their hand if they had things that for many of them, they got their food at school and they didn't get their food at home. They, they yeah. home and they wouldn't have food accessible. So it's really kind of understanding all of those components and then developing an app that took it into consideration. Wow. So Kelly, this is a good um, you know, point where you think if you're like doing a fantastic job, then just think of Kim and say, <laughs> okay, I'll never, I'll never measure up. <laughs> wow. That's insane. I know, right? I know. And she's just like a regular faculty member. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty awe-inspiring, isn't it? And did you, so, did you also compare that to the media that they consumed, like to see how their media use impacted what they ate or... Yeah, that was kind of the thing about it. It was, um, it's this big longitudinal project. So I collected mm-hmm. data before I introduced the app and got all the information about media use. Um, I asked a lot of questions about um, familial media use. So if you're sitting um, at a table or sitting on the couch and they're watching, you know, a TV eating a dinner or lunch, uh, you know, I try to kind of understand their home environment because certainly that's going to influence to a very large degree their eating behaviors and eating habits and even their attitudes about healthy eating. And then every month I would kind of collect that data again. And then once I got kind of a solid base, I went six months out and a year out. And then I just kept collecting data after that. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's a lot of data. <laughs> it is a lot of data. And if you think about it, you have, you know, like a kindergartner or a first grader who may struggle to type. And so you would get a name, Jacarius. Um, and Jacarius might have spelled his name with a C in first grade and then in second grade spelled it with a K. Um, so I'm like trying to, it was a lot of work just matching up the same child, you know, after each point of data collection. Oh, wow. wow. But that is fascinating because I can still remember some of the food commercials that I saw as a child when mm-hmm. I would watch, say, Saturday morning cartoons, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and, mm-hmm. and I would say things to my mom. Like, I can remember the Kraft Singles commercial where the cow is pouring the milk <laughs> into the cheese. Yeah. And that just dated me right there. But I, you know, I would say things to my mom like, you know, she would buy, say, Borden cheese. Mm-hmm. And I would say, no, Mother America spells cheese, K-R-A-F-T. <laughs> She's like, oh, my gosh, you've got to stop. <laughs> no more to be from you. That's right. I love that. Right? I love I that. I remember, you know, asking for foods after seeing them on TV. 
Yes. Yes. And why wouldn't you? Yes, those of us from the <laughs> advertising background, of course. <laughs> and that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. Check that box. So, it, that's right. So, Kim, I don't want to um, miss this. I want to make sure I ask you this before um, we finish this episode. You have a daughter who is going to be a freshman in college. Now, I know you have another daughter who's already in college. But there's so much in the media these days in those of us, you know, following all the higher education issues Mm -hmm. of what things are going to be like for incoming freshmen and what all that is. Can you just shed some light on what you're dealing with as a parent and what your kid is, you know, is thinking of going off to college in a world that is not anything like anything we ever expected it to be? Certainly. So, you know, it's interesting because when you are a senior in high school and you're thinking about the next big step going off to college, you kind of have all these, you know, impressions in your mind of what it's going to be like. And then being the daughter of a professor and living in a university town, you have a really good, you know, insight into what it's going to look like. And um, when things started to, you know, start to go bad in March and things started shutting down where we are in Tuscaloosa, I was joking, uh, really joking and saying, oh my goodness, if she has to start freshman year from her bedroom upstairs, it's not a good thing. Um, So basically, she's going to school out of state. She's going to be a freshman at the University of Florida. And I do give them a lot of credit because there's been a lot of communication, including either a 17 or 19 page document about all the steps the university is going to take. And we probably got this six weeks ago, um, but about all the steps the university is going to take to ensure the safety of all the students. Um, so they've changed the way the dorm situation is going to look. They've changed, um, you know, the way the classrooms are going to look. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely, I think, difficult from the student perspective because, part of what you want in that college experience is that face-to-face interaction with the professor. At least I, yeah. say, that, I say that they want to see us in person. Um, <laughs> yes, and who wouldn't, right? Of course they do. Of course they do. They don't want me on Zoom. Um, <laughs> That's right. But, you know, the other part of that, is, you know, is the, the social aspects and, um, you know, just finding a community in a different place. So I think that's really, really the unknown. Um, She's going to be in the honors program. And fortunately, being a part of that, they do have smaller class sizes. Um, So, you know, it's definitely, as a parent, it's definitely difficult to look at it because I kind of have the insider information on kind of what's going on at my institution. Right. Um, so it's like, hmm, I sort of know what's going on. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, I mean I think, you know, I think it's difficult for any incoming freshman because they lost their senior high school year. You know, most of them lost right. prom, many of them lost graduation, all these things that are kind of the rite of passage for a high school yeah. senior. And then you go off and you're supposed to be starting college and living in a dorm and walking down the hallway to a group bathroom and all this. And it's like, hmm, it's probably not going to look that way. So I know it's definitely challenging all around. Yeah. Yeah. She's doing okay with all of that and taking it in stride. 
she is taking it in stride. Um, I think the big thing has been really from um, kind of the the actual class perspective. Um, she signed up for classes and we had a conversation about it. Um, she's got two classes, calculus and chemistry for engineers. And she Ooh. said... <laughs> I'm not sure I want to take chemistry online. And I'm thinking, yeah. I don't want to take chemistry at all. I don't want to take it. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> so, you know, the types of classes that I teach, I think, are more adaptable to an online format. But trying to learn anything with math and formulas, I can't even envision what that looks like. So, you know, we put together a a plan and she's got a schedule that basically gives her flexibility so that if she gets in and and chemistry and calculus happen to be online, she can drop one of them um, and then just take the rest of her classes and still be a full-time student. So, you know, and I don't want to take any credit for this, but I think because, you know, I have been doing this for 20 years, I was like, all right, your advisor said take 14 credit hours. I'm going to say it's like 17. And if you need to drop one of those four credit hour classes, you're still good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good plan. Yeah. So speaking of classes, what are you teaching in the fall? I teach um, as part of my job as director of undergraduate research for the university. I teach um, an intro to research methods. So it's um, research and society, um, oh. mostly freshmen who are coming in. They apply to be a part of this um, emerging scholars program. So it's a research intensive program for our students. So I have that class and then the rest of my job is administrative. Uh, But even with that, um, the classroom that I'm in right now, the capacity is 79. And with the new guidelines, we can only have 24 students. And I currently have well over that. Yeah. So, you know, it's a question of, well, do I meet half the class in person this day and meet with Zoom, the other half via Zoom, and then do we switch? Um, So it's, it's difficult because I'm not getting a different classroom, so I'm going to have to kind of come up with a, a hybrid model for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Wow. It's just this morning I found out. Um, so one of the classes, I'm teaching an ethics class and has 45 students. And it was in a classroom that only held 45 students. But so they moved me into a large lecture hall that seats, I think, 130 or something, but have determined that um, I can only have 39 students in that class. Oh, and oh, I'm just wow. not, I just am not, I'm going to teach it hybrid as far as some weeks we're going to be online, some weeks we're mm-hmm. going to be in person. I'm just not interested in teaching like online and face-to-face right. and three different ways at the same time. So at the same time. I think what I'm going to do is just assume that at least six people are going to cut every time <laughs> or maybe have a counter. And when you get to 39, when the 40th person shows up, just say, sorry, dude, come earlier next time and see what happens. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't know what to do, but um, so it's just it's it's pretty interesting um, as we all kind of navigate. Um, this. So what about your administrative um, aspect of the job? So so having to do all that online this mm-hmm. summer and maybe into the fall, it must be impacting sort of how you uh, um, approach things. 
Certainly. So for the um, administrative job I have for the college, I'm the director of the research center and the associate dean for research. So we do a lot of um, workshops, training sessions, kind of brown bags related to IRB or grant writing or, um, you know, looking for foundations where you can make a, make a pitch for potential funding. And so all of that for the fall is going to have to shift online. My dean has already said, we're not going to do in-person events. And he told me that well in advance. Um, But it, it really, you know, if you think about it, I mean, we're all, professors so it may be a little bit easier to have this open dialogue but typically when I run these workshops about grant writing I'll talk for a little bit may have a powerpoint but then it's really Q&A and all these sorts of discussions and just the logistics of all right put everyone on mute and then when I ask a question unmute everyone and and just that flow um it's stuff like that that I'm still struggling with um so you know that part because I've had notice I've been able to kind of put a lot of things online so we're going to roll out you know powerpoints and online resources and things like that for our college faculty and graduate students we're going to have basically office hours via google hangout so um normally people would just drop in and obviously they're not going to be doing that so it's just thinking about things in a completely different way right right yeah, it makes me worried that we're going to get so good at this that um, people, you know, are going to say, hey, that worked really well online. We never have to see humans again. We don't have to come back. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was funny because in the spring, um, when we moved to working from home, I thought, wow, I'm way more productive because it was often just this constant stream of people in my office. So, I mean, you know, that that goes, Um, Mm -hmm. you can't complete a sentence or a thought, you know, just because it's one person after the other. So I thought, this is great. I'm actually getting so much more work done. And then we hit May and I thought, I'm kind of lonely. You know, I sort of miss that interaction and walking down the hall and saying hi to someone. Um, so it's it's really about, you know, at least for me, finding that balance. So I do, you know, with my employees that I work with, we'll, we'll have a, I'll, I'll send them a text and say, hey, can you hop on Zoom right now? And then we'll hop on Zoom just to chat about random things. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Kelly. You had a question. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're still in awe, as we all are. <laughs> I just thought that was also interesting. Um, my husband works for a large corporation and they use Microsoft Teams. Mm-hmm. And so what he was saying is, whereas people used to actually call on the phone because they were already like sort of global, but people used to call on the phone. Now they always want the video call oh. mm-hmm. so through Microsoft Teams. They would chat and say, can you talk right now? And what they mean is via video. Right. Right. And yeah, I think I kind of miss not being on video. I, I think I would prefer 
the phone. <laughs> like I feel like Zoom has sort of become ubiquitous, where yeah. it's, if we need to talk, we need to see each other's face. And I think that may be a little bit overrated. Well, that's so interesting, right? Because <laughs> so first of all, we're wearing masks, right? So right, not in right. meetings, but out in the world. So you're seeing people mm-hmm. talking, but you can't actually see their mouths. So that's, right. you know, <laughs> a weird to begin with, I'm, I'm finding. And I just can't imagine um, we're supposed to be wearing masks when we're teaching when we're teaching, fall, which is yes. going to be um, pretty interesting. But also, I, I was on a um, go-to meeting um, right before this call, and just you know, sort of looking at myself in the video, I'm horrified. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, because you know who's going to dress up for in the summer of all places, and I'm like, whoo, that is just not right. a good look. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, yeah, and people people like put the background like they're at the Grand Canyon, yeah. They're at the beach, yeah. and I, and I think that doesn't help, right? I right. mean, you actually look your face looks more pale. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think that is not that's not good. But I am not I mean, putting just, stage makeup on for a Zoom call. I don't care no. what people say. No, but I, I just feel like it's a little overrated. Yeah. I don't think we need so many Zoom calls. Well, and that's been kind of the funny thing because, you know, working at home, I've got on a t-shirt and maybe if I was meeting with students I'd have on a nice t-shirt or something like that (laughs) but you know my dean would text me and say hey can you you know can we have a quick call meaning a video call I'm like shoot I've got to put on something nice my hair's in a ponytail (laughs) I'm like I've rolled out of bed some you know many times I would work out and then just get right on the computer because nobody had to see me Um, totally been busted in that you know, yeah. very, very casual. But. Yeah, I think that's funny. Yeah. And so as we wind up our conversation, I wanted to ask you, I know you participate in a lot of um, races um, mm-hmm. around the country. And so those are not happening in person anymore. Are you doing any of those virtual races that I've, you know, seen people discussing? I know we've had some of those in the rowing world that, you know, everybody's like rowing by themselves and somehow it's all supposed to, you know, look like a big competition. <laughs> really good question. I'm actually I'm signed up to run Chicago in October okay. and it would have been marathon number 30. Oh my goodness. It is not officially virtual, but I have a feeling because the other big marathons, New York, um, and others around the, the country have either completely canceled or they've gone to virtual. I think it's just a matter of time. Um, so I don't think I'm going to run 26.2 miles in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Part of the reason I wanted to do Chicago was, you know, kind of the fun of running in Chicago. Right. But I've done, I've done shorter races, 5K and 10K virtual, um, you know, and – I think it's fun because for me, it gives me something kind of a goal, something to work toward. If I know I've got this race coming up, it's like, all right, I've got to train for this. Um, so now it's like, well, you know, it's virtual all of the time, but not really anyone else will know. That's so, right. That's right. Definitely have another piece of cake it. and a glass of wine, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, this conversation has been just fantastic. Kelly, do you have any last questions you want to ask him? I know you usually have something. 
<laughs> well, I was just going to say, if we have that extra piece of cake and glass of wine, do we need to take a picture of it and submit that on the app? <laughs> Is that something that has to be tracked? Yeah, if you don't have a picture of it, you didn't actually eat it, right? There, there, you, there go. you go. That's, that's, that's my new motto. <laughs> that's really funny. That's um, Any other last words, Kelly or Kim? No, that's it. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's just important to kind of note at the end of this that for all of this, all of the faculty out there who have incoming freshmen, it's going to be a challenge. And I think what I learned from last spring for them, the whole shift in this is what we know to a brand new format working from home, you know, I really saw students struggling and so many meetings with my freshmen in that research methods class one-on-one because they just were in a really bad place. So, you know, I think it's important for all of us to just keep in mind that it's, you, 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 for 18 years, it's like, this is what college is going to be like. And then it's like, whoo, no, it's not. Um, Right. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, spoken like a compassionate mother and a compassionate <laughs> professor and a compassionate administrator. Um, so Alabama is certainly fortunate to have you um, in all of those roles. And um, I just wish the best for your daughter this fall. And I Thank hope, you so hope, much. hope that she is able to be in person um, more than online and that the first year is a really great experience um, thank you. for her. So anyway, Kim, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's really been a great conversation. I always love um, hearing about the things that you're working on. Um, you are an inspiration um, to all of us. And you've you. been an inspiration for me, for, to me for years. Um, and oh so it's, thank it's you so much. It's really great to have you. Fine. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And Kelly, it's always great to talk to you every week. <laughs> it's the highlight of our week. That is the millions of listeners tune in. Professors. Right. So, Kim, thanks again. And Kelly, I will see you next week. All right. Yes, absolutely. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.